The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Father, we come now with great expectation that you love to meet your people through your word and by the power of your spirit to make much of your son. We need that today. We need it every day, but we need it these days. It feels like more than ever. So please come and do that again. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I feel like Bruce just kind of prayed my sermon, but I'll give it a go anyways. Uh, Election day has come and gone, kind of. Uh, There are lots of things still happening, uh, still demanding our attention in so many ways with that and everything else. And I'm not going to make you raise your hands or shame you, but how many of us have been hitting that refresh button on your chosen election update site quite a bit? Refresh. 2,000. Refresh. Over and over again. And this is really nothing new for 2020. So this is kind of the next iteration of us being overwhelmed with information. We're living in a year where we've never had more information about so many significant things all at once. We're already living in a world that disciples us to give our constant attention and time to information and activities. You should go do some research on how all the the platforms you're on and all the emails you're getting and everything, it's meant to disciple you, to, to take your time and your attention away from things, like purposely trying to steal space in your mind. That was already happening. There was always the next activity to sign up for. There's always the next article that someone posts that is urgent, a must-read. That was going on before 2020. I mean, I, I don't know many people that don't say, when you say, how are you doing? They normally answer something like, busy, little stressed, lots to keep up on. And most people are just carrying low-grade stress. We've just begun to kind of function that way. That's normal. That was before COVID-19. That was before social unrest. That was before political elections. That was before the upending of all of our rhythms and our patterns in our life. Now before you hear me saying something I'm not, information can serve us. It can inform us. It's not all bad. It can help us as we seek to navigate life. Activities can be really good for our families. It's good to keep up on the various aspects of COVID-19. It's good to know what's going on with elections and the various issues there. It's good to think through issues in our society and wrestle with those things together. But there's a danger, isn't there? I think you felt this danger. The information and the activity can soon become a distraction that rules our hearts. Like our hearts are, are overwhelmed by it. I don't know if you know this about yourself in 2020, but you're finite. You only have so much you can do. We need a new doctrine of our finiteness in a world that tells us we can do it all and read it all and be it all and affect it all and care about it all. But you're finite, so your mind and your heart and your time, when it's sucked towards all sorts of information and activity, 
overloads you. And for most of us in this season that I talk to, it leaves you feeling weary, anxious, and some of you are a bit more cranky than you've been. And when information ceases to serve us, and instead begins to distract our hearts from what is most true and what is most beautiful, then our hearts have begun to serve another ruler. There's just no other way around it. That's what's going on. In other words, we lose sight of what is most true of who we are and what we're called to do, lose ourselves in secondary identities and secondary callings. And when secondary identities and secondary callings become primary, do you know what happens in the church? Divisions over those secondary things. No longer are we united because we serve the King of Kings with our identity most deeply rooted in citizenship in His kingdom and our great calling to know and follow Jesus together, but instead, we serve our little man-made kings in our hearts that demand we war on those that the Bible calls brothers and sisters. And it's happening all over the place. And I'm saying it over and over again because in case you haven't noticed, it's not just heading off into the sunset. It's going to be here for a while. And I'm looking for a people at the South Campus united around radical worship of our true King in these days despite other differences. Are you in? You want to be in for that? Or do you want to let your callings, your secondary callings, your secondary identities destroy this thing, rip this thing apart? Today in this text, which is an ironic text about people having to decide between two people, we will see a people, these apostles, these sisters that are with them, with a singular focus on the king and his kingdom. And I just want to remind you as we move into Acts of the elements of a kingdom. What is a kingdom? Why is this called a kingdom? Well, in a kingdom, there's a king that rules over the citizens of the kingdom in a place. So as we walk through Acts, we see King Jesus reigning over his people, and the place that he's ruling is inside of them and among them as a people leading them to the ends of the earth by his Spirit. And their role, their mission is to bring glory to his name because that's where all of creation is headed, to bow to King Jesus. So I'm praying that as we walk through Acts, as we see their radical devotion and their radical obedience and their unshakable joy carried out for the name of Christ in the midst of persecution and pain, what I'm praying is that you would see it and it would infect you. That it would be contagious and that we would be a people devoted into that same thing. So let's dive into this strange little text today together now. Point number one is the foundation of the Word. Let's Set the scene from last week. We did a little overview of Luke Acts. The Lord Jesus has just spent 40 days with these apostles and these disciples showing them proof that He was alive and giving them commands mainly to go and make Him known to the ends of the earth and to make much of Him as the King as He empowers them with His presence. In other words, He said to them, all of your life now is about making Me known. That's your mission. That's your calling. One of the things he told them before he left was not to leave Jerusalem 
until they had received the promise of the Father, the baptism by the Holy Spirit that we'll see next week. And because Jesus is their King, they have only one choice, and that is to obey Him. And so they go back to Jerusalem and they wait. And while they wait, they gather to pray. And what we're going to see is from this prayer meeting, from their examination of the Word, it's going to lead them to replace Judas in their little band of apostles. And the first thing I want you to see about this text is that when you are radically oriented around King Jesus and His kingdom, you devote your life to the foundation of His Word. And you let His Word shape your reality, shape your decisions, shape how you see everything. So the apostles and some women, it says Mary, the mother of Jesus, some other brothers are gathered together and praying. And Peter stands up and tells them that because of the plan of God, Judas would betray them and they need to choose another disciple. And I think the reason Peter says this can be seen in a little word, not obvious at least in the ESV translation, but very obvious in the original language. And I just want to point it out to you because I think it's important to see it. So I'm going to read verse 16 and point it out, and then I'm going to read verses 21 and 22 and then point it out. So look at those with me. Look at verse 16. It says, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And there's a word right before the, the fulfillment that's, that, that means it is necessary. It has to happen. So a literal transa- translation could be, brothers, it was necessary that the Scripture had to be fulfilled. Now I point that out because as we get to verses 21 and 22, that same word shows up. So let me read those verses. Verses 21 to 22. It says, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And the same word is at the beginning of these two verses. Even though you can't see it there, a literal reading would be, It is necessary that one of the men who accompanied us must become a witness to his resurrection. It's necessary. Now why? point to this little word in these two verses. I want you to think about how significant this would have been for the apostles and the women and the disciples in this room to hear Peter say this. You've just come through some great trials. I mean, think about this. I can't imagine this happening. You have a dear friend and devoted follower that betrays your king. And that is painful. Sometimes we read the story and we kind of know the ending and we're watching the whole time like, what a scoundrel. Right? They must see it coming. I don't think they did. So imagine the, the pain of that moment. And now you're left to do the mission, one man short with the pain of his betrayal and then his tragic death. And so how does Peter respond to that? He says, that was necessary. What a word. <laughs> was necessary? They had to happen. So we'd say to Peter, why? Why do you say that had to happen? Well, the answer for Peter is because he sees it in the Word of God. 
We see back in, in Luke that the Lord opened their mind to understand the Scriptures. So maybe Jesus touched on this with them, or maybe Peter's just reading the Bible devoted to the Word, and he's beginning to, to see new things by the power of the Spirit. We don't know, but Peter is reading from Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, and he's saying the Word of God predicted it, therefore it had to happen. It was necessary. So what do those Psalms say? Look at verse 20. It says, For it's written in the book of Psalms, May his camp be desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So Peter reads these Psalms, and if you read these Psalms, they have references all throughout them about the betrayal and unjust suffering of the Messiah. And he reads these Psalms and he goes, Brothers and sisters, this had to happen. It was predicted in God's Word. It, it had to come to pass. We see both sides of the coin here. The Scripture said the person who betrayed the Messiah and brought his unjust persecution and suffering and death, the person who had once stood by his side, his camp must become desolate. That is, his portion in this ministry taken away. And then it says another person must replace him. Now think about that psalm. And when it was written... Think about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about this new mission they're on and realize how radically oriented the Bible is around the work and mission and person of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's wild to think about thousands of years before someone writing this so that these apostles knew what they needed to do. Do you see how trustworthy this word is? Do you see how this would have comforted them as future persecution came? It was all planned. It was all under the sovereign control of the king. How do we know that, Peter? You see, scriptures tell us. You can trust them. It's the word of God. That is how we should live our lives. So I want to pour over the scriptures like that, like Peter does. Pour over the scriptures and let them just shape my reality and point me to seeing and savoring the king and having confidence in his mission. Does this settle your hearts a little, the current events going on? I, mean, I, don't, I don't know where you're most afraid of evil winning or you're most afraid of chaos happening, but certainly the betrayal of King Jesus planned by the king, predicted by the psalm, should give us confidence that if he was in control of that, he's in control of this. All of it. He hasn't lost one detail. This kind of deep comfort only comes as we devote ourselves to the Word. Throughout the book of Acts, we will see the disciples of Jesus deeply devoted to the Word of God to interpret their reality and walk forward in their obedience. Just over and over again, the Word of God is the foundation for the expansion of the church in the book of Acts. Why? Well, because the king gave us a book that helps us follow him and bring his kingdom to bear wherever we are. The ruler of the universe gave us a book to read that tells us who he is, what he's done, and what he's doing. That's something we ought to give ourselves to. And listen, it's not just a book that we use to glean general, vague principles. It's not enough. It's a book to be devoted to, a book we saturate ourselves in, seek to understand, seek to obey because we long to know our King. Kids, as you grow up, 
your parents are going to worry about who you spend time with. They will. They'll always be asking you about your friends and asking you what happened, right? I'm already doing it with my little kids. Like, what happened Wednesday night? Tell us about what you talked about. Right? We're just always worried about it. Why? Because when you spend time with someone, you begin to think like them and talk like them and act like them and believe what they believe. You begin to love what they love. And this is how we're supposed to be with Jesus. Kids, I want to tell you something that I wish I would have done more as a kid that maybe you can set the example for in your homes. I wish I would have spent more time with Jesus. Spent less time worrying about what everyone else thought about me and wondered about me and how popular I was and who liked me and what friend group I was a part of and just spent time with Jesus knowing what he thought of me. Don't we all need to do that? Are we spending more time with Jesus than we are saturating our minds in other things? I mean spending time with Jesus. I don't mean opening up your Bible to get a proof text to make a point. I mean spending time with Jesus. I don't mean reading articles that make your point or get you mad because it doesn't make your point. I mean spending time with Jesus. Do you want to avoid distractions ruling your heart? If you don't, that's okay. Just tune out. Just keep doing it. Just keep running this hamster wheel. But if you do, set your gaze on your king and his kingdom in his word day by day. Be reminded of who you are, what your king has done for you, what you are called to do, because none of that ever changes no matter what pandemics and politicians come and go. Don't mainly read your Bible to get your arguments for, for positions or current issues. Read your Bible to know Jesus. I want us as a people to be so in the presence of Jesus day by day by day that when people interact with someone from the South Campus, they say what they said of the apostles in Acts 4. They've been with Jesus. And they are common people. Foolish people, common fishermen, common trades, even used to be tax collectors, but when we look at them, something is different. They've been with Jesus. When people interact with you, are they like, they have been with Jesus. They smell like Jesus. They're dripping of Jesus. Point number two, the fuel of prayer. Now notice what they do after they listen to the word of Jesus to wait in Jerusalem. They gather and they pray. Look at verse 14. It says, All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Jesus has ascended to his throne. They've been given their mission. They're told to wait. What is the instinct? What do they do? Well, they gather and they devote themselves to prayer. The word for devoted here has a connotation of a kind of obstinance or stubbornness, meaning we're just going to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray until the Lord meets us and gives us the help we need. I love the idea of stubborn prayer. And it says there, of one accord and of one mind, they're pressing towards Jesus together with a common vision. And we could walk through the list of disciples and see the different backgrounds they came from, like a tax collector and a zealot. And it is a miracle only by the Lordship of Jesus that they are of one mind right now praying. That's what Jesus does. 
when he transforms people from completely different sides of society. We can learn from our kids again here. Kids, when you want something or need help, what do you do? You ask for it. Because you've got no other way to get it. We adults need to learn to be like kids again. (laughs) To not lose that mindset. These disciples, like little children, understood the task they had been given was far too big for them. But they also understood that their Savior was alive and had just risen up to His throne and promised them power. And so what did they do? They prayed. They prayed. I feel like I keep beating the same drums over and over again. I can't guilt you into being devoted to prayer. I don't want to. I can't shame you into more prayer. You will pray when you have seen and savored and are devoted to the bigness and beauty of your King and His kingdom. You will. That's when you'll pray, when you're devoted to the beauty and bigness of your Savior and His kingdom. I won't be able to stop you from praying when that happens. These disciples were devoted to their king, his salvation, his kingdom, their mission. They longed to see his power and presence come, so they prayed. In other words, prayer is the most basic expression of faith because it confesses our need and God's power. Prayer is like breathing for the the Christian. Our need, his power. Lately, a lot more prayer meetings have sprung up in the last few months, why, why has that happened? Diagnose that. I've seen them in Washington, D.C., seen them around the cities. Why has that happened? Because people felt a need for something. So this morning, I want to let you in on a secret. We are always that needy. We didn't become that needy in the last two months. In your neighborhoods, there are people that don't know Jesus Christ. Are you that desperate to pray for them? In these south suburbs, there are are pockets of people who have never heard of Jesus Christ. Have you been that desperate to pray for them? There's always a war going on for our souls. Satan is roaming about like a roaring lion. Do you feel that battle? Are you desperate to pray all the time? I'll let you in in the secret. We've always been this needy. We've always been this needy. And we haven't prayed. And most sad about that is we've always been this needy and we haven't prayed this much and we've always had this access. Like you can talk to the God of the universe whenever you want to. There's a throne of grace. It's always open, always grace and mercy and well-timed help. We've always been this needy and we've always had this access. And I want to point out one other thing from these verse that shows how dependent we are together as a family. And I point it out because Luke points it out. Luke is unique in this way in pointing this out in his Gospels and in Acts. We see Luke showing that from the very beginning, the mother of Jesus and other women were a part of the prayer meetings that fueled important decisions and important moments in the life of the church. In other words, Luke goes out of his way in a society that would have devalued women to say they are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, but they are partners in the great commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
This is where we get the picture of family. Um, men and women in the family, no second-class citizens, none more important than the other, no ethnic divide, no gender divide, none of that, just a people desperately praying for the presence and power of King Jesus. And notice that as they're praying, they're stirred up to replace Judas. As God's people pray, God actually meets them and directs them to what they should do and where they should go. And then right before they make the decision, listen to how they pray again. Verses 24 to 25. And they prayed, and they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. I just wonder, so, they, so just think about this. They've, they've been praying like crazy, devoted, of one mind. Peter stands up and cites these psalms, says, we've got to do this. And then what do they do? They pray again. I just had to check in my heart this week. Is that, is that my disposition? Like, I ought to just pray one more time. <laughs> Let's pray one more time. I just want your help one more time. I want your wisdom one more time. Or I'd rather Google than go to God. Right? Would I rather make a, a spreadsheet than ask for his wisdom? Or I'd rather send out my plan than pray one more time and say, what would you have me do? Well, what we see in Acts over and over again, right? there's no awesome church growth classes, there's no marketing techniques, there's no get 3,000 more people to your church in a week emails that I get all the time. It's simply go to the foundation of the Word, plead with the Lord for his leading, and walk forward for the sake of his name. He is the one who knows all things. He cares more about his glory than we ever could, and he is eager to give us clarity and wisdom as we need it to walk forward for the sake of his name. Point number three, faith in action. And I only, one of the reasons I did this point is because there is a way, and I just know some of you well enough that you'll hear be devoted to the word and be devoted to prayer and just feel that burden and you'll just get paralyzed. You can never do anything until I've just prayed and read the Bible for a, a week straight. But notice that they actually act. Right? They knew from Jesus that this person had to be a witness of his life and death and resurrection. The number 12 must stay intact. We'll talk about that later in Acts. So they had all these qualifications. They bring two good men forward who presumably fit the bill. They've used the words of Jesus and the words of the psalm to guide them to this decision. They've poured out their hearts in prayer for help. And then they cast lots. How does that strike you? A little bit strange? Verse 26, They cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. It's like a footnote in Acts. It's like a big deal. <laughs> this is an apostle. It almost seems careless at first. Like you couldn't make up your mind, so you cast lots? Right, what about a theological interview? We do like 17 of those to become a pastor at Bethlehem. What about an application or something? I mean, this is the next apostle. This isn't like, what are we going to do for lunch? Couldn't they at least vote or something? Instead, it seems like they got to a place where they just went, they both seem like good guys. They've both been with us. We, we love their character. We, we trust both of them. And so what do they do? They ask God, who knows hearts, to make his will known through the means of casting lots. And I don't think this is an accident. I think Peter is so saturated with the word of God that it's leading him to this decision. Proverbs 16, 33. 
It says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So I think Peter's just going, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to choose between these two guys. But I know that every lot is decided by the Lord. You think with all the Psalms that Peter was pulling out before about Judas that he might have had this proverb in mind. And they knew from the word that the Lord was sovereign over every lot that was cast. And so they prayed for his help and then they trusted his providence. So we go to the Lord in his word. We go to him in prayer and then we just got to move forward trusting that he wants what's best for us. He's in control. We'll see this over and over again in Acts. The word guiding how they view reality. Praying for the power and the presence of the Lord so they can fulfill his mission. And then they act and the Lord meets them over and over again. In this particular instance, it was to choose a 12th apostle, but we will see it over and over again. So as we close here, seeing this story, seeing how they walk through this, let me ask you point blank. Is your life right now radically oriented around the mission we saw last week in verse 8? Could you say that? My life is radically oriented around making much of Jesus Christ. Could you say that? Is that where your attention has been? Is that where your heart has been? You won't be devoted to the word, prayer, or a life of dependent action unless we are devoted to our King and His kingdom. In other words, the reason I ask you that question is I'm not mainly worried about like how many of our people are talking about Jesus. Not mainly worried about the actual action. What I'm worried about is the lack of that kind of devotion reveals our hearts. Worried about your souls. Where are your souls focused and fixed? Do you view everything in your life through the lens of making much of the King? Do you think about that as you change a diaper or get up in the middle of the night with a little one? Man, I'm, here's where I am. The Lord has placed me here to love this little one, to get up for another drink of water, right? to, to take another little kid to the bathroom right now to show the love of Christ. What about as you go to your job and you interact with your coworkers? What about as you prioritize your time and how you're going to spend your money? Is that your mission as you post on your social media pages? I'm going to make much of Jesus with this post. Every post, I'm going to make much of Jesus. Is that how you're using your retirement? Is that how you're approaching your small group gatherings? Kids, do you want to make much of Jesus when you're with your friends? I'm going to start trying to talk to you kids more because you're part of this church. When you're with your friends, do you want to make much of Jesus? I want to talk about Jesus. Talk about how good Jesus is. Are we so amazed by the life, death, resurrection, ascension of our King, the one who paid for our sins, that we desperately want other people to just know about Him? Know who He is. Know there's forgiveness in Him. Know there's rest in Him. Know there's hope in Him. Know how much better it is when He runs the show of our lives. Because if we are, then the way to lean into knowing Him and making Him known is the same as we've seen here today. We go to the Word as our foundation, desperately. We want to spend time with Jesus. We go to prayer as the fuel for all of our lives and ministry and our most basic expression of faith. And then we seek to act in ways that make much of our King. So I've had people the last week just wonder, 
that if you just keep talking about how much Jesus is better, our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, don't, don't you get how big this moment is in our country? Don't you care? Are you trying to make us feel bad for caring? So sometimes the pastor, if I hear something a few times, I just want to talk to you. I've got opinions about all those things. I talk about them, I think about them, I pray about them. But for whatever reason, in this season in the life of this church, the Lord has placed me here to be a shepherd, to preach the word, and to pray and be burdened for your souls. So I just want to say to you, I'm not, I'm not angry with you. I'm not trying to pull a Jesus juke on you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about your Facebook posts. I just desperately want you to have the unshakable hope and joy and rest and witness that is available in Jesus Christ. I just want that for you. And I worry about your souls when they become so distracted and so burdened. So I just want to say that to you. I want us to be about this. And all the other stuff, it matters. It just matters so much less than this. So if you've been distracted and you've confused kingdoms and agendas of this world with the kingdom and agenda we saw in verse 8, or you've started orienting your life and your heart around those things instead of Jesus, or you feel yourself stirred up in anger and anxiety, or you feel restless or obsessed, like refresh, 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 right? Trying to, you're like trying to make votes happen. Here's the invitation this morning. Take Jesus up on his invitation to come to him again today and find rest for your soul. Just take him up on it. Lay all that down. Don't, don't numb it. Don't pretend like it's not there. Look it in the eyes. Call it what it is. And then lay it down. Remember your primary identity as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Your primary calling to tell other people about the beauty of your king. I love just repentance in the life of a Christian, right? Just confess, Lord, I've had a distracted heart that has been ruled by other things. Like, I've had to confess that. It's not, I'm not saying it to you like I've just been up here just chilling the whole time. It's been a hard season. So I just want to confess it. I want to reorient my heart, my mind, my life around Jesus again, day by day, week by week, taking his name to the ends of the earth. And then I want to devote myself to him in fresh ways again and again and again. I don't want to rely on yesterday's grace. I certainly can't rely on last year's grace. I want to devote myself to stubborn prayer that pleads for His power and His presence. I want to go deep with Him in His Word, and then I want to trust and rest in His providence as I seek to act for the sake of His name. Church, our mission has not changed. Our King has not changed. Our God never changed. And in this moment, we have one of the most beautiful opportunities in recent history in our nation as the church to shine the unshakable hope, unshakable joy into a hurting and confused world because we know the power of our King and we know that He's good and that no detail ever escapes His grasp. So let's pray. So Lord, as we come now in just a couple minutes to the table, 
to fellowship with Christ. I pray in these next couple minutes as we prepare ourselves in reflection that you would just help us see where we have been devoted to other things, been dependent on other things, been about other things, and lay them at the foot of the cross and walk in the freedom of radical devotion and worship and obedience of Jesus. Help us lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely and look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. Lord, we need the power of Your Spirit to do this. So we pray for it now. We plead for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.